Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Python Podcast in 2024. Uh, today I have a special guest, Kevin uh, McAleer, who creates uh, videos and other training materials around robots and kind of the making or maker communities. Uh, anyway, he's got a great website and a YouTube channel where you can learn about creating robots with Python and other programming languages. Anyway. Uh, enough about me introducing you. How about you You talk about yourself a little bit? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Hi. So yes, I'm uh, Kevin McAleer. I make robot videos and uh, robot projects and uh, document that on my website, kevsrobots.com. So I've, I've been building robots for um, not that long, actually, probably about four years, I would say. Um, and if, if I sort of rewind back a bit, I've, I've got a degree in computer science and I've always been around computers. Um, so I remember 1982, we had a, a ZX Spectrum. I think they were called Timex. Uh, so, mm -hmm. Sinclair Timex, was it, in the US? Uh, but yeah, in, in the UK, we had the sort of birth of that uh, home computer revolution with lots of uh, locally grown computers like the, the Sinclair uh, ZX81, ZX82, which was the, uh, mm. the, the one that uh, we had in our family. So yeah, we, we learned uh, how to program in basic on there. I would sit watching my brother who was very fluent in this and he really took to it. Um, I think he even mm -hmm. wrote his own compiler at one point as well. So um, oh, nice. I guess I would, I would sort of try out some of the programs. I've even got some of the original books um, from, our, how, from our house um, <laughs> <laughs> still on my shelf over there. So uh, yeah. It's been one of those things that's been kind of in our family, in our blood for, for a very long time. But I've never actually done any commercial programming. I've only ever sort of tinkered about. So I've learned many okay. programming languages. Uh, when I was doing the degree, we, we mostly covered C, C++. We did a bit of Java. That was hot at the time. That was new. And a little bit of, a, I think they called it LiveScript at the time, um, which became um, JavaScript. So that was when okay. uh, Netscape Navigator was sort of the, the main uh, proponent of that. Um, and then for quite a while, I played around with some other languages. I never quite got into the macOS um, Objective-C. I found the sort of convention, the formatting, the syntax, the language a bit weird on that. Um, but I did try mm -hmm. some Swift recently, and that, was, that seems to be much better. And then um, okay. a few... A few programming languages such as um, Pascal. I learned Pascal, and I learned that the uh, the inventor of Pascal died uh, this month. Um, I think it was about the fourth mm -hmm. of January. So that was a real shame. Uh, Nikolai, yes. uh, yeah, Nic Nic Nicholas, um, uh, who died. So yeah, and then most recently, so probably in the last sort of ten years, I've learned Python. Um, that when okay. the Raspberry Pi was launched, um, they originally intended that to run Python and nothing else, no operating system, just like a Python interpreter. And interestingly, that's now what the uh, the Raspberry Pi P code does. But the original Raspberry Pi, that's where it gets the Pi in the name because uh, it was going to mm -hmm. be running Python. So yeah, after a while, I thought, I'll, I'll give this a go and see what it's like. And uh, initially, I thought it's a little bit quirky, but then I, I, I got it and I thought, I absolutely love this. It's the easiest way to express what it is I'm trying to do in the most natural kind of language, almost like pseudocode. Um, so that was kind of where I learned Python. And around about the same time, um, like I said, about four or five years ago, I got my first 3D printer. Now, I'd never been very good at sort of physical design and, and putting things together mechanically. Um, but the 3D mm -hmm. printer kind of unlocked that side of... Uh, 
uh, my creative skills, I was able to sort of design my own robots, um, my own robotic parts, put them all together. Um, mm-hmm. The electronic side, if you, if I'm sort of jumping around a little bit here, if you think about uh, robotics, <laughs> it's kind of like it's like kind of like a Venn diagram of uh, of three skill sets or three mm-hmm. domains of knowledge. So you've got programming, you have um, electrical engineering, and then you have mechanical engineering. And where they sort of meet in the middle, that's robotics. And I would say most people coming to robotics probably have some skills in one of those three areas. And there might be another area where they sort of need to up their skills a little bit. So mine was the sort of mechanical side. Uh, When I had the 3D printer, um, I was looking, you know, what can I download? And I was looking on Thingiverse Mm. and I found this robot, which was a completely 3D printed robot called the Smars robot. The idea was you don't need any Mm. glue or screws. It all just sort of assembles and clicks together. So I was hooked on this. I, I got one of those. Uh, and that required an Arduino um, to to um, to operate it, and it has two little motors in it that can sort of move backwards and forwards, and has a range finder on the front so it can measure distances, it can avoid obstacles, it can follow objects, and it's really extensible. They've got all kinds of extra add-ons that you can um, add to that model. So once I understood that you could expand this, that's when I started to use Fusion 360 to design things in 3D, print them out on my 3D printer. Um, and then write the code in uh, in Arduino, which is it's kind of a variant of C C plus plus called um, processing. So it's its own language, um, and I think hmm. it was actually designed for artists. So when you write a program in uh, for the Arduino, it's called a sketch, which I quite like. But it, yeah, but it is C C plus plus. It is quite. Um, I would say for a beginner, it's probably not the easiest language to learn because there's all this sort of squiggly brackets and semicolons and things. And I mean, white space doesn't matter, but case does. Uh, everything that has to be heavily mm. typed or you know, void main, it's, it looks very esoteric, I would say, for beginners. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also for somebody who's, who's an experienced programmer, I think it gets in the way of what you're doing sometimes this. You know, remembering, have you have you neatly closed your brackets? Do you have your brackets at the end of the line or on the beginning of a new line? And all that kind of mm-hmm. nonsense. So I absolutely love the fact that Python just requires a couple of indents and that's it. Your code even looks nice if you uh, if you follow yeah. the sort of Python standards. So yeah, so that's kind of my background, you know, um, computer um, degree. Um, I started to do um, 3D printing, some robotics projects of my own. And I thought, well, these Smiles robots are great, but the information about them is all over the place. So I thought a really fun project to do would be build a website. So I called it smilesfan.com. And I would collate together all Mm -hmm. the different modules that you could could use for this robot to expand it. And also... um, any other resources like how to how to design your own, how to expand upon the original design. And I contacted mm-hmm. the original designer of this, a guy called Kevin Thomas, and, uh, and even did an interview with him, sort of a written interview for the website. And I mm-hmm. thought the, the website is very uh, type heavy, lots of text. There's not very much um, video on there. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll create some video for that. So I think the first video I made, which was like a live stream, I used OBS to uh, capture the video. Um, yeah. And I basically just designed um, the Smars robot from scratch in Fusion 360. It wasn't a great video if I look back at it now, but uh, that kind of got me started. <laughs> and I guess the, the choice for doing a live stream was because I didn't need to edit the video. Um, it basically just mm-hmm. record the session and then you're done. A bit like what we're doing here now today, <laughs> unless you're going to chop yeah. this up. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into producing videos for YouTube. And um, I basically did it every Sunday and I haven't stopped doing it every Sunday since that day. Um, I think it was a July um, back in uh, 
2021, I think it was. So that's how long I've been uh, on, on YouTube, sort of growing the channel. And yeah, it's kind of grown from oh. there, really. I'll let you speak that's for That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, I was going to talk about something else, but since you brought up YouTube, and I, I'm curious anyway, what uh, what uh, tooling do you like to use to create your create your YouTube videos? I mean, you mentioned OBS. What else do you yes. use to produce so, videos? So I was looking at how can I improve um, the quality of the videos that I made because I was essentially just using my iPhone on a little stand kind of at the bottom of the desk mm -hmm. at the side so you kind of get an up and side view of my face. I didn't have any lighting or anything like that, no fancy cameras. I did have the same microphone that I'm using now, which is a Yeto Nanny, a blue Yeto Nanny. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, getting my words mixed up here. A blue Yeto, Yeti Nano. And um, I think it's quite a cheap microphone, but it's, it works fine. And the software yeah. I use to actually capture the video and do all the kind of fancy, um, um, you know, segues and things like that. It's like I can press this button here and I can get all these different views of my my office and so on. Um, so yeah. I'm using some software that's called Ecamm Live. Um, so I think it's Mac only and it is like a subscription-based model. So you okay. pay $30, something like that per month. Um, but it does mean you get all the new updates every time there's a new release. And then I started to build mm -hmm. out the studio that I'm in um, uh, with with additional equipment so originally i was basically down in my house which i'm in the bottom of my garden not the top of my garden at the moment in a little shed uh, which i call the robot okay. lab and uh, yes originally <laughs> it was just me me and uh, i think i was on an imac just recording what i was doing so now i've got a stream deck mm -hmm. next to me if i go to this view here nope that, that one this one here you kind of see the uh the review i've got this camera behind me so you can see i've got these mm -hmm. uh studio lights these are elgato key lights um which okay. you can kind of you can control from your computer or your phone i've got a stream deck which is like a little set of buttons that you can program uh, and i use them for mm -hmm. sort of like a video dj i can switch between seeds while i'm doing the live streams and um, i've also got like one of these ring lights as well as so a called it hair light which is quite ironic because i don't have very much hair <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so uh yeah so that sort of sits just off to the to the side there and i've nice. got the same microphone and i've got yeah an overhead camera as well for what's when i'm doing sort of um shots of um that's not the right one though let me find that this one here this is like the, one of the robots i've been working on you can see the, the desk okay. so yeah that's the kind of setup that i've got for for doing the youtube videos and i use some software called restream to stream that out to to uh, x to um twitch uh, Facebook, mm -hmm. um, and obviously YouTube as well. So they kind of take that stream and stream it out to everywhere else. Yeah, I've heard uh, of that one. Again, it's another cost, cool. but um, yeah, <laughs> it is good. That's and awesome. I bought an expensive uh, camera I... as well. Yeah, the, the camera that I'm using um, as the main host camera, I think that's a Sony 64, A6400, and it has a, a Sigma 1.4 mm -hmm. uh, f1.4 lens. Uh, with 16 millimeter and that gives you this nice boku effect behind me nice blurred background but i'm nice and sharp in the image and i've got another sony camera as this sort of overhead camera as well so yes that's the that's the that's, studio setup <laughs> that's an impressive setup I, I i do i think i have a key light i'm not using it at the moment but uh i don't really like it because i need you actually need two to get a good a really that's good right. even light that's um, right I, I didn't realize I needed to, so I need to. I need to go ahead and splurge, get the That's second it. one going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
That's really uh, really awesome. I'm just curious how uh, how much has your YouTube channel um, increased over the years? Have you seen like big spikes? Like any kind of trends Finally, or anything like that? Yeah, definitely should mention that. So. Um, uh, just this evening, I was uh, doing some Python programming. I was using some uh, pandas and NumPy uh, to analyze some of the data from YouTube. So YouTube have this uh, analytics page, but it's it's not the easiest thing to use, to be honest. And I'd rather just get the raw mm -hmm. data and slice it however I want. So I've been um, looking at some of those numbers uh, just this afternoon. And um, yes, I've also got the, the data for that. Um, it's going to quit that browser window there because I think that's the thing that's making the noise there. Yes. Um, so I've been looking at that data this afternoon. So I'm just on the cusp of about 25,000 uh, subscribers at the moment. Uh, so it's not bad. Oh. It's been growing about 10,000 a year. It's kind of got a curve to it, which is nice. So you, you kind of exponentially mm -hmm. grow the bigger the channel gets. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's quite a challenge. The, the subject matter I've chosen is quite niche. And, and I do live streams, mm -hmm. which are quite long. So they're at least an hour long. Um, and that's just so that I can get all the, the format of the show is essentially... I will do some slides. I will sort of introduce a subject, some kind of learning points, um, usually around Python, robotics, Raspberry Pi. Um, and then I will do a live demo. So fingers crossed with the live yeah. demos that things will work the way I expect them to. But yeah. Yeah. Huh. Have you tried chopping up any of the, like the long videos into like shorter form pieces just to see how they perform? Yeah, so I have done that um, a little bit. So one of the challenges is YouTube doesn't allow you to slice a video that's been recorded. Um, so oh, really? you would have to record it offline and then upload the two parts separately. So they don't, you can you can trim the video, mm. but you can't slice it. So that that creates a bit of a challenge if I'm broadcasting directly to YouTube all in one uh, go. But I could I actually, yeah. And I do have an audience. There's like a regular group of people who very kindly spend their Sunday afternoons with me um, on the on the show. So it's quite an interactive thing. We, we, after we've done the live demo, we then kind of got to a Q&A and uh, unboxing. If there's anything that I've got to show that week, I'll uh, sort of showcase that. I've got a new mm -hmm. like, product or something like that I can show people. Or the, the new book I've been working on, which is the Robot Makers Almanac, which is something I've been hand-making oh. myself. It's got all the... Uh, pinouts and things like that for, for people who make robots nice that's cool i wonder if that would be something useful you could uh, sell eventually absolutely yes, so give away for free that's the plan so we're gonna gonna sell those i've got another book as well um which is um i call maker notes and it's essentially just like a, an a6 notepad people can use it's got like the dots in it so it's easy to draw circuit diagrams mm -hmm. or, or whatever so yeah they're, they're gonna be help supporting the show as well that's cool. That's awesome. Um, I'll get back to my focus, which is Python. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. uh, what your favorite Python pack packages and modules are when you're working on all these different projects. Sure. This is such a great question. I've been thinking about you know, what's my favorite. Um, so at the moment, Fast API is probably my favorite. Uh, so one of the things I did okay. very recently with Fast API, I have used Flask in the past, but I found uh, Fast API is better because it can do. Um, um, the API documentation for you. I can't remember the name of the, uh, mm -hmm. the thing that it provides. Um, Swagger, that's it. Swagger, it provides like a Swagger interface okay. to all the API, which is really nice. Uh, but yeah, with Fast mm -hmm. API, you can build an API in a matter of minutes. So one of the things I built with that was a search engine for kevsrobots.com. So because kevsrobots.com okay. is, it's, it's generated from a series of markdown files, which is like plain text files. Um, it then builds from that, um, full HTML files with all the nice formatting and everything using some templates that I've designed. 
Uh, and I also then have some Python files that will pull data from various different places or um, pull apart the data and reconstruct it in different ways. Um, so that's, for example, I've got um, a learning platform that I've developed, uh, which again uses like a YAML file for the structure of the course. And then each of the, the files which are in that structure are the individual pages of the course. And it can do all kinds of clever okay. things like working out how long it will take you to read that page. So it can divide like, you know, 200 words per minute or whatever it is by how many words are on that page and give you a nice little metric for that. It can even do progress mm -hmm. bars as well, like as a percentage, how far through the course you are, depending on how many pages there are. So that's all in Python. Um, and that kind of sits behind the scenes whenever I generate a new version of the site uh, before I upload it. And the Raspberry Pis that are sat behind me blinking away, they're actually hosting the live website. So there's four of them all in Docker oh, containers. Nice. So yeah, so the search engine was, um, I thought that'd be like a really hard project to do. And it was like, it wasn't even an afternoon. It was like half an afternoon. So I used the uh, hmm. full text search facility in, um, uh, which is like a Python module and uh, SQL Lite 3, which comes as part of standard Python to, to sort of yeah. save the, the file out. And it basically just goes through all of the, the, the entire generated HTML files, uses beautiful soup, which is another really cool uh, Python library to convert all that HTML, get rid of all the cruft and just get the raw text. And then it indexes yeah. all that by keywords. Uh, it does it all itself. I don't need to give it any kind of um, hinting or anything like that. It figures it out um, mm -hmm. using some some clever algorithm for looking at the frequency of words, which words they appear on. So then the, the, the SQLite database essentially indexes all those pages, it indexes the words that are on those pages, and um, mm -hmm. it also captures from within the the HTML, if there's an image, which is kind of the primary image for the page, I have some metadata to tell it which that is. It can then have that as like a thumbnail mm -hmm. for that page. So when you type in into the search engine, uh, behind the scenes, there's a, on one of those little Raspberry Pis behind me, there's a fast API little app that I built, which basically just surfaces. Um, you type in a keyword, it returns back a list of pages. Um, and it can mm -hmm. even do that paginated, which is quite clever as well. So really like that nice. was a very simple project to do and it's it's added so much extra value to the website because it's now not just static pages but um, you can search mm -hmm. for them so fast apis is the one i'm really pleased with at the moment the second one is open cv cool. i think it also comes as a, a package called cv zone but it's the same kind of thing and i use that for doing um yeah. sort of computer vision on robots i've got this little robot next to me here this has a Raspberry Pi camera on the front as well as a, a LiDAR on top. But the camera can do all kinds of clever stuff with the Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi is a full Linux computer running a full um, Python instance. So you can you can do things like face detection, hand detection, object detection. Um, and then you can then use that in the rest of your code to do make the robot move. It can move towards or away from the thing that it's seeing or... Um, one of the projects I'll talk about in a minute, um, which is one of, one of the sort of challenges I set myself, was to build a robot that could sit on my shoulder as a companion robot. Uh, and that uses mm -hmm. OpenCV and CV Zone to do some very clever image manipulation. So we'll talk about that in a little minute as well. And then the, 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 the final three packages, which I think come as kind of a, a group, is Pandas, NumPy, and Matplotlib. So for any kind of data science, I absolutely love these. Uh, combine these with something like Jupyter Notebooks where you can interactively play around with your Python code and, and the data. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. I could, I could waste hours and hours, <laughs> hours on that. So, yeah. So yeah, those are really good packages. Yeah. 
I'm learning more. There's so many packages. You, you learn, you're, you're trying to solve a problem and um, you'll find like a, a, a package that something's written that will do exactly what you're looking for. And I just think this is this is crazy mm-hmm. that you can do this. So yeah, they're, they're the three favorite yeah. ones at the moment. That's the cool thing about Python, in my opinion, is you go on uh, the Python package and index and you can find pretty much anything you can dream of that's already there. That's it. There's so many out there. And usually they're pretty good. There's a there's a couple of crusty ones out there, but most of them are really nice. Yeah. So we kind of talked about this already, but yeah, we talked about how you got into robotics, kind of. You want to? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add to that that we haven't talked about? Yeah. So like I said, I, I definitely had a programming background before I came to the robotics side. And the thing that, if you think about the joy you get from programming, uh, making a program work and you get the sort of interaction with the real world that things, you know, inputs create some kind of output that you're processing. Imagine that, but with moving parts with, with wheels and motors and things. So you get that double joy with robots. So once I had yeah. this uh, Arduino moving around, um, I maxed out the amount of code that you can run on an Arduino. They're only eight bits. So the processor can only address it. It's, it's 16K of memory max. It's like hardly anything. Um, and I was like, okay. well, what, what's more power? How can I get more power from microcontroller? Uh, and the ESP32 is a chip that you can you can use. And that's a 32-bit chip. So you can address like four gigs of RAM or whatever it is. It's like ridiculous amounts. They don't have that, but potentially okay. you could address that. And they can do things like... Um, wi-fi and bluetooth uh, as well as all the the gpio pins which you can use to to turn off um, leds or to make buzzers beep or to connect to other components like servos and motors and things so i moved on to an esp32 and i discovered that you could actually run python on one of these there's a a variant of python uh, which is uh, uh, Damien George is the, the inventor of MicroPython, and uh, there's a, mm-hmm. a whole group of their people. They're one of the podcasts I, I did uh, join a while back. Um, so, okay. yes, they um, they created MicroPython, which runs on microcontrollers. So you get all the beauty and simplicity of Python running on an embedded device. Uh, none of the yeah. compile time or anything like that. It's really, really quick. So development-wise, it's really quick. So one of, one of the reasons I love Python so mm-hmm. much is it's really easy. It's like you're playing with the code rather than, having to think really hard about a problem, typing out the code and then waiting half an hour while it compiles the full thing. Yes. It's really, really quick. So even on fast computers, yeah. you know, C is still um, quite heavily compile time. Obviously the runtime is faster, um, but mm-hmm. you know, with with modern things, I don't think that's a problem with Python. So, Okay, so I was just saying, um, for anyone who's listening or watching uh, this podcast, um, the one thing to take note of with MicroPython is that sometimes it won't work with the more advanced Python libraries like OpenCV or like WX Python or those things. So you, you kind of need to check and see, you know, that, does it work with OpenCV or not? And if it doesn't, you may have to find an alternative. Yeah. And, and there are other techniques as well. So there's um, an ESP32 camera module that I've been using um, some, on some of the projects. I'm just trying to see if I could find it there, but it's a little a little camera module. And um, mm-hmm. you can get that to stream video, and then you can capture that video in um, in Python. So you can basically just bring that in as a video stream and do all the kind of object detection off the device. So there's quite a lot of 
techniques you can use to uh, kind of defer where the actual processing is done. So yeah, we have to do all those kinds of tricks. MicroPython, um, yeah, it's, it's very limited in the kind of memory that's on the device as well as the capability and the speed, but it can do an mm. awful lot of really cool things. And obviously it's Python, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think MicroPython has a has like a website with lots of examples on it, but there's also a competitor from Adafruit. Um, what is it, CircuitPython? CircuitPython. So that's actually a fork from the original MicroPython. So, and and why mm -hmm. why they've come about with that, and it's similar. There's um, one of the companies I work with closely is um, Pimroni. They do all kinds of um, products, and they use mm -hmm. they use their own pirate branded uh, MicroPython. And the reason is, if you think about um, um, drivers for hardware devices the manufacturer mm -hmm. has to create some kind of low level driver bits and bytes level uh talking to the individual chips on whatever um board that they've created and it's very specific to the hardware that they've made so they tend to start writing things and making their own ecosystem around them so they can update it so if you make displays for example um you might mm -hmm. make a library that works with all of your displays so they tend to make um, modules that are specific to their version rather than just using you know pure MicroPython they'll optimize it somewhat and CircuitPython uh, kind of forked quite a long time ago so it's it's um, it has come away if you like from the from the main version of uh, MicroPython so whenever there's a new MicroPython version launched it takes a couple of months before they kind of catch up and they can do their own release with those uh, goodies in there but yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only reason I brought that up is that I know Adafruit is really active about creating tutorials around what you can do with their yes. microcontrollers, which is really, really cool. So that even if um, MicroPython doesn't have that necessarily like in a tutorial format, you could probably kind of port the idea over to MicroPython if you wanted to. Yeah. Just throwing that out there because sometimes you know, it's hard. It it, it's just really hard to come up with your own ideas sometimes to get started. Yeah. At least for me, yeah, I'm there's like, so many use a micro. That's there's so many projects you can do. Like like you know, I, th I think I've got an example of almost everything you can do with MicroPython in this robot lab, uh, from like weather stations, um, uh, environmental monitoring, hacking. Um, I've got a Billy Bass fish up in the, the top of the workshop there. That's actually running a live web server. I'll see if you can actually get on there now, actually. Um, so it's uh, mouthpie.co. And, uh, yep, it's working. I'll paste you a link to that in the chat. Uh, and you can actually okay. interact with this uh, in real time. So this is running a web server running on a microcontroller. That's insane. <laughs> but you can do it. So you can make the robots sort of move, you know, move its mouth open and close. It can move its tail and its head and all that kind of stuff. And this is all running on a microcontroller using MicroPython. So you can do all kinds of crazy stuff like that. <laughs> One of the other projects I, I made was um, a Ghostbusters Wi-Fi scanner. So the idea of this is it can scan all the hotspots mm -hmm. in your local area and it can list them all on its screen, but it can also make the arms of the Ghostbusters Wi-Fi, um, like the... Um, uh, PKE meter, I think they call it in the film, the arms sort of raise up, the stronger the signal is. So that was a really fun project mm. to do and designing that in 3D <laughs> as well. But yeah, it's mostly, mostly MicroPython. So yeah, That's cool. absolutely love it. So what do you find uh, motivates you to be a content creator around Python, do-it-yourself type projects, robotics, sure. etc.? This is a 
great question. So I love computer science. I've always had a real passion for computers, computing, because there are so many mm-hmm. diverse subjects you can really dive into, you know, whether it's like speech synthesis, voice recognition, neural networks, data science, there's so many different uh, aspects of it uh, that I just find it's all encompassing. There's so many things to, so many rabbit holes to go down. And I love learning something and then being able to explain that back to people, but not not in a kind of mansplainer way, but in mm-hmm. a kind of share my joy kind of way, uh, in a way that makes it straightforward yes. for somebody else to learn. So, yeah, so I love teaching and I love um, helping people learn new skills. So that's that's one of the passions I think I've got is that sort of sharing that joy of making robots move around, learning code, making their programs work. And uh, yeah, bringing some creativity to that as well. That's not just the uh, sort of cold, dry programming, but uh, <laughs> yeah, robotics, yeah. things that move around and flashlights and make sounds and things. So yeah, they're, they're probably the two main things. At the beginning of every show, I will say, come with me as we build robots, bring them to life with code and have a whole load of fun along the way. So that's the sort of mantra mm-hmm. for my show. And, you know, I don't know everything there is to know. I'm learning as well. There's so many different things out yeah. there. Uh, but when you discover something and you think, I wonder what happened if we took like this weather API and merged that with this, uh, you know, this robot arm over here, what could we do? We could make it wave whenever it snows or <laughs> we could make it look happy or sad. Or There's all kinds of things you can do from, uh, from the most bizarre, you know, API out there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of, that's where I come from. I just love making crazy things. I made um, my own toothbrush recently using a Raspberry Pi Pico motor driver and a little um, motor up there and it's got all the uh, gubbins as well to make this work so it kind of this is like a proper toothbrush i'm holding up and then next to it is the the 3d printed version that i've uh, i've created <laughs> because nice. why not yeah why not <laughs> <It's a beautiful laughs> exactly i don't ask why i just ask why not so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's fun that kind of brings up a related topic um uh, what what has been your favorite robot to build? Yeah, so I've got two robots. Um, I have I've absolutely loved building. So the first one is this one I've got next to me, which is Cubie. So Cubie is a cube shaped robot, and I designed this so I could learn ROS. So ROS is the robot operating system, and that's like a framework yeah. and collection of tools for making robots move around and uh, interact with the real world. And um, it, it, you can you can use C++ or Python, and you can use them interchangeably as well with ROS. Um, but I basically built this robot so I could learn ROS. So one of the things that it's got on okay. the top here is a LiDAR. So it's like a rotating laser beam, and it can map out in three in two dimensions the environment that's in. So it can see walls, and you can then visually represent that. And you can even get the robot to move around within that space um, and okay. detecting things, combining things like the division from the robot as well as the sort of motor controllers um, as well so this runs on a raspberry pi 4 inside i might upgrade that to a raspberry pi 5 and it's also got like an imu in there for inertial measurement unit it can detect whether it's it's um if it's rolling yawing or um, pitching it can detect how fast it's going in a particular direction and it can combine that with the lidar information mm-hmm. to very accurately position itself so I did a show on that last week called Slam Simultaneous Localization and Mapping. So that was a really fun uh, thing to do. So that's that's been the um, most recent, if you like, oh. um, updated robot. And then the other one I made is Bubo. So there was a, a film in, uh, was it 1982, 1984, maybe 1986, Clash of the Titans. 
So this was one of these like Sinbad type films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harryhausen did the um, Ray Harryhausen did all the uh, um, animation, all of the stop motion animation, and there was a little robotic yeah. uh, owl. It's like a clockwork owl called Bubo, and I always loved this. It's one mm-hmm. of those things that sort of lives in your head rent free. And I thought, I want to build my own Bubo. I want to build a <laughs> steampunk version of Bubo. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a, a round robot. I've got it at the top of my studio at the moment, but it's uh, wrapped up in packaging because I took it to uh, to the Rome Maker Fair with me. But uh, yeah, if you go to kevsrobots.com slash QB, C-U-B-I-E, you'll find all the, the build files mm-hmm. and everything on there, all the code and all the 3D printable files for it. Uh, as well as a load of videos on uh, me building that. So that was really fun because it used a load of Python. So it's currently, it has a Raspberry Pi 5, the latest generation of Raspberry Pi, which runs Python even faster than the previous generation. And it has a camera in its eye. Cool. It can use OpenCV CV Zone to capture images. And I thought what would be really fun to do, because um, I was I actually designed this to be um, something that would be interactive if you're in an event. So something like the Maker Fair. So if a person goes up to the robot and they do a peace sign, OpenCV can detect that a hand has been you know, put in front of the camera. It can count the fingers on the hand. It can even count which fingers on the hand being held up. And if you hold up a peace sign for three seconds, the camera will then take a picture. It will then use um, Pillow to do some um, advanced uh, processing of that. I think it was your book, was it, on Pillow mm. that I uh, I used? That's oh, right, cool. isn't it? You did write a book on Pillow. Yep. Yes, so um, it uses that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it uses that. I learned everything I know from that. Um, it applies a filter, a bit like an Instagram filter, uh, to the image. So it brings mm-hmm. out some of the colors, adds a bit of vignette, all that kind of stuff. It then adds an overlay on top of that image. Um, so it's like a transparent and alpha channel image with some, um, you know, I met Bubo at the Rome Maker Fair kind of overlay. And what it will okay. then do is it will it will tweet out and toot out on Mastodon that image. So mm. I, I found some uh, APIs from the providers of those on how to do that. And then there's some other challenges with that because it's never just as easy as posting a picture to social media. If you post a picture, you have to have some text with that, as in the message. And then the message can't have the same text twice because it thinks it's a duplicate. So I had to randomize um, a message that would be sent with these. So I came up with like about four different dictionaries of words like, hey, or hello, or warning, human detected, you know, that kind of thing. And then it would build up a a string from those four different dictionaries. And I made them deep enough that if I met like a thousand people, it would never repeat the same message twice, even randomly. So um, I had to do a bit of calculation on using Python as well. (laughs) I had to figure out, you know, what what the uh, (laughs) collision rate would be of that. (laughs) So yeah, that that was quite a fun uh, project to put together. And uh, it works. It works beautifully. It just, it starts up the script uh, it runs in a Docker container so that um, I can sort of quickly rebuild this, tear it down, and it runs kind of headless. You don't need a keyboard and mouse uh, connected to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I do have a, a wrist-mounted Raspberry Pi that I created that's based on the Pip-Boy from Fallout, the Fallout games. Mm-hmm. So it's got a little keyboard okay. on the screen on top so you can connect to it. But, yeah, that's uh, I think they're my favorite robots. One, because it's um, this one it's like a proper robot it runs around and uh, it can interact with the world and, and it can see the world yeah. and show you what it can see and bubo because it's just like a fun robot uh, yeah yeah that's really neat i i remember seeing i think i've seen both of those on twitter from you occasionally and it's been fun to yeah. watch them change and as you learn more yeah. you, you post more about them 
So I mean, that kind of takes us to our next question. Uh, what is, was the most difficult to do yourself project and what did you learn? Yeah, so it probably, the most difficult would probably be those two that I've mentioned for different reasons. So Bubo was mechanically different. That was quite ch challenging to get all the uh, the mechanics working in there. Um, and then from a software point of view, that's probably the easiest because it was like the most fun to do image, you know, slapping uh, overlays on images, adding filters, all that kind of stuff. I spent loads of time playing around with that because it's just so fun. Um, but then from a sort of programming perspective, um, getting this QB robot to work with ROS was quite um, quite a challenge because I had to learn the ROS framework. And I think it's designed by roboticists for roboticists. So it's not really designed for beginners. Mm -hmm. It's quite esoteric. There's kind of lots of assumptions that you will know and expect to know certain things in there. So um, yeah. I did build a few courses on that because I thought if I've learned this, I want to share that learning with other people so that they can... Uh, you know miss out that all that pain of just getting confused all the time about why stuff doesn't work but yeah most yeah. of the time python libraries are quite well documented i've found so um that you know it just takes a bit of time just to understand what it is how it works the thing you know what do you need to pass it what's it going to give you back and then how do you work with that mm -hmm. so, yeah that's cool So let's see. Oh, yes. I wanted to ask you about uh, something I saw on your website called Clustered Pi. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I will. So those little Raspberry Pis that are in the, the cluster behind me, there's four of them grouped together. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the latest incarnation of Clustered Pi. So it's a play on words of Custard Pie and uh, and Clustered Pies, which is exactly what they are. So so there's four Raspberry Pis. <laughs> I did actually build... Um, uh, a cray mini like a mini cray supercomputer using raspberry pi zeros uh, but i was getting a bit of an issue where mm. they're all wi-fi based and if you have like 12 wi-fi computers all very closely packed together they start tripping over each other um mm. and, and all the collisions of packets and things so that didn't work quite yeah. as well as i wanted it to but that was kind of the genesis of clustered pi and then it's moved more practically to be just four raspberry pi fours so they run um docker Docker is that uh, container uh, platform, so you can build applications within kind of a sandboxed environment. They don't talk to each other. They can just run independently, and you can build them up and tear them down just with YAML code, so it's really simple to sort of build them up. They essentially run like a, okay. um, a, a Unix shell and whatever else you put into that particular container, such as Python. So you could have, you could have like every version of Python running in a separate container and test your code, for example. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they take the markdown files that I will create for my website, uh, it feels like building a cathedral, this website. It's like one brick at a time, and I'm building this <laughs> massive structure, but it's, it just yeah. takes forever to do. But over time, you end up with something that's quite significant. So all the files, I use Markdown because it's the easiest thing to create. It's like it has the, less, the least amount of uh, noise when you're creating the content. It's just plain text mm -hmm. in a very specific format, if you like. So um, you have like a yeah. hashtag space, and that's like, you know, heading style one in HTML. And so on. Three mm -hmm. three dashes are like a horizontal line, and you can do bullet points and, and other things like that. Embed Im images with links. So I use Markdown to build all the pages out, um, and then there's a piece of software that runs with um, I think it's Ruby based. It's called Jekyll Jekyll RB. So that will take all those um, Markdown files. It can also take YAML files and build pages with that YAML file. So you could create, for example, uh, a navigation bar with just like 
you know, six lines in it in the YAML file, and it can build like mm-hmm. a nice linkable navigation thing from that with uh, with Jekyll. So okay. Jekyll is the thing that will convert the files into HTML, and then I use Nginx as the web server. So there's a little script, a Docker Compose file that will take all those things, build a container, and then host it on the, the web server behind me. Um, and like I said, I, I do quite a few Python things behind the scenes to to enhance that. So if you go to kevsrobots.com slash learn forward slash, you'll see there's a whole bunch of free courses that you can take. And um, mm. I, I built a platform, a learning platform, so that I could have like a little navigation on the left-hand side. So you could click on different um, like subject headings, topics, and then it would load up mm-hmm. the page um, next to it. And it has like, back uh, you know previous buttons next buttons all that kind of stuff as well as um um, what percentage through you are how many minutes it takes to read the page um and so on so all those things are built from markdown files again with a single course file for the uh, for the course so i've made a little python program that can basically just generate everything from that Uh, and then jekyll does the rest and makes beautiful web pages from it so I wouldn't have been able to do that with raw HTML. It would take far too long, particularly things like the, the next and the previous links. That's like really tedious. And if you insert a new page, you've then got to edit three pages. Nah, I don't bother with any of that. Mm-hmm. Let Python do all that sort of stuff for you. So yeah, it's sort of, it's my best friend when I'm uh, building websites as well. That's really cool. So yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, my latest uh, uh, fun project was uh, building that search engine with fast API. Yeah. Um, I would that that's really neat how you've combined Python with uh, not only microcontrollers but Raspberry Pi, and then you turned it into a website. I really wasn't expecting to talk about web development in this episode, so that that's fun <laughs> to talk about that too. <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting. So when you're talking about how um, your your little robot that can run around and see the room. And it uses an IMU and computer vision. Yeah. Um, I work in the agricultural tech field at the moment, and we use the same kind of technology on tractors and combines to yeah. you know see the world around you, determine if that's a plant that we want to heap in the field or not, uh, spray it if it's not, or kill it in some other way, you know, or harvest it. Um, but you also use the IMU, IMU to help. With collision detection in the field, you know you don't want to run over a human, for example, or yeah. a, an animal or whatever, and you just don't think about that. You're like, some people might think you look at these little robots and think this is just like a toy, but they use the same concepts, you know, for million dollar projects. Right. You know, whether you're driving a car or driving a combine or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm it's really cool. You can just yeah, they're yeah. one of those sort of magical um, uh, devices in IMU because if you think like an Apple Watch or you know Google Watch, whichever kind of Fitbit or something, that's essentially all they have in them is just like a, an inertial measurement unit. You can do all sorts of things from that. You can detect if somebody's fallen over because you'll see a spike, a really sharp spike on one of the axes and then no movement at all. And you can run that through a machine learning model that you built using something like TensorFlow. And you can then detect that, oh, yeah, somebody's fallen over. That looks like a somebody falling over kind of pattern. So there's so many things you mm. can do with, with Python and IMUs. It's, uh, it is crazy. You can, you can make it so it could learn sign language through gestures that mm-hmm. you're making. There's all kinds of things like that you could do. 
Um, you just need to apply a bit of creativity to it and uh, and then try things out. So, yeah, I do a lot of trial and error. <laughs> I, I try and cover that in the show, but I don't think people appreciate just how much trial and failure there is before you get that success. <laughs> you know, I don't I've been a lot of long enough to know that sometimes. No. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't understand that about computer programming in general. There's a there's a lot of trial and error. You know, fixing a bug, even. You know. Yeah. And it's not finding a new concept. There's just a lot of it. So. <laughs> yeah, I found things like um, Copilot um, on Visual Studio Code or ChatGPT. They can help um, sometimes spark an idea that you might not have considered before i'm not saying that they can generate everything mm -hmm. for you i think that's um, i think that kind of misses the point because yeah. if you don't know how the program works that it's generated you're not really programming are you just like a script kiddie uh, but sometimes it can help sort of mm -hmm. show something or clarify something like you know if there's a you think why doesn't this work the way i expect it to and you put it into chat gpt and ask it that question and it might say that's ah, because this is in the wrong order or you've not you know that variable hasn't been declared properly and you might think yeah why didn't you just put a print statement in there and <laughs> read out what it, the value is and yeah then, then i would but yeah that's it yeah there's a lot of a lot of potential for ai but right now it's still pretty yeah. pretty, uh, pretty early days that's what i want to say all right. Well, I think we've covered all the topics I was planning to chat with you about. So thank you so much for chatting with me today and being on my show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, meeting you and uh, talking to you about Python. Yeah, it's been good. Um, if any one of you wants to check out Kevin's um, website or his YouTube channel. I'll have links in the show's description and you should definitely go check them out because they're really amazing. And I think you'll learn a lot. For now, we're going to sign off though. Thanks for for listening or watching. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.